Well, in the first service, guys, uh, I started my sermon and was totally cut off by somebody they gave a microphone to, and, and I, I asked them, could we just not do it in the second service? But what, the, what it was all about was, uh, today is Dina and I's 29th wedding anniversary, and uh, we are so, you know, like, it's, we're loved by you guys, and we enjoy being with you, and, and we're, we've been here for how many years now, babe? 20, 23 in March, so we're about halfway in our tenure before you have to, to bury me or send me away, you know? And she's going to live forever. So, But I, I do want to say publicly, uh, how many years have you been married? We've been happily married for 26 years. We've been married for 29, but we've been happily married for 26. And the first three years really was the process of my wife teaching me, unteaching me what, what, a husband, what I thought a husband was. She is gracious, and she is patient, and she is kind, and she is loving. And she was Proverbs 31. She's the hardest working person I know, and I'm, I regret that I've been one of her major projects, you know, through the years, but I could not be and I could not do without you. So happy anniversary, baby. I love you. And now I'm going to cry. All right. The other thing is this. Um, people have been saying, you've been talking about groups and getting groups. Pastor Carl who did a wonderful job. Did he not last week? That, that dude can shuck the corn and he can, only, there was one bit of, of confusion. He said, if you want to hang out, come to my house, we'll smoke something. He smokes meat. He's talking about pigs and ribs. And for some of you that got really excited that we're that kind of church, we, we, we smoke meat. Like, Come on over, we'll smoke something. I went, oh, you can't say that at the Freedom Center. <laughs> they don't know what you mean. So. Um, but others are like, like, hey, so what, how do we get involved here? What, where's the first step? And a great first step, it's not the only one, but a great first step is um, what we call our core and commitment class. It meets on Sunday nights. It's six weeks long. It's who we are what we believe, where we're going, and who you're going there with. So I think before you really jump into a church, you need to know what, what that church believes. I, I hope that you don't find out a year later, like, oh, I didn't know they believed that. I, I wish you know, nobody ever taught on that. We, we obviously don't teach on everything that we believe. It would be impossible to do so. We hit major themes that kind of promote you know, the health of the body of Christ, but we certainly don't talk about you know, what day of the week we think Jesus is coming back, but we, you know, we believe Jesus is coming back. You know what I mean? We don't talk about a lot. Maybe once every year or two, we'll do a series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But, but to, you know, people are like, I didn't know you guys believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Oh, we, we believe in all of them. We believe that God isn't done doing cool stuff. You know what I mean? We believe that his kingdom is to come and his will is to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And some heavenly things are a little freaky on earth, but they get the job done, you know? So it's stuff like that. So who we are, what we believe, where we're going, and who you're sitting next to, and that starts next Sunday night, not tonight, but a week from tonight, 7 o'clock, I teach the class along with two other people. I'm there every week unless I'm out of the country or I'm dead. Otherwise, I love that class. And we spend uh, time together. Child care is available. And I hope you'll come join us because it's a great first step in. We're going to find out who you are. You're going to find out who we are, what we believe. And then we're going to kind of figure out if you really should be sitting in, in the middle of the room anonymous for a season to get healed or if you're here to, ready to jump in. But what I don't want is this. Everybody, everybody wants to go to a friendly church. But how many of you guys know after about six months of going to a friendly church, you need to have friends. And how do you, how do you make friends in a room this size? You've got to be extraordinarily friendly. And there are extroverts among us that could make friends in, a, in an empty room full of stumps. You know what I mean? They would just carve mannequins and they'd start, you know what I mean? But you guys, the average person, you know, sometimes something to facilitate that, give me somebody to sit next to with a name tag on, helps me get to know people. So until you won't really belong, if you will, or feel like you belong to this church until you know the people that you're sitting with. Come, come out next Sunday night. Give it one night try. I'll buy you a cup of coffee sometimes afterward because we don't have coffee at that class because I wouldn't be able to sleep that night. So, amen?
There we go. So we're going to talk about a dichotomy here that's pretty obvious in cultivating community, and that is this, that the impossible and the logical somehow coexist as good friends in the kingdom. Um, it's, it's weird how God created this not to work, and yet it does. It's, it's strange how there are times when the logical thing to do is this, and God says, yeah, don't do that, do this. And there's times when faith to say we should do this, and God says, no, it's really time to do something logical. Some things are very difficult to understand, and I think, and this is theology, but it's my theology. It's the King Jim version of the Bible, we call it. I think God does that because in the end, God doesn't want us to be intimate with principles. He wants us to be intimate with Him. And so by cultivating these crossroads where we, you know, both this way and this would be right, then how do I know what to do? And the answer is listen to the voice of God. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that God continually, continual tense, that God continues to speak. And so I, I hope that we're not trying to build enough principles that we know what our principles dictate so we do our principles. I think, I think character and principle are important, but I mean, I know sometimes God tells us to do some pretty strange things that are, that are not good principles. For example, let's talk about water walking for a second. We've got 12 men in the middle of a lake, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the storm, and they think they're going to die. Now, some of these guys are fishermen, so when they think they're going to die, they think they're going to die. This isn't some tax collector that's never been on a boat before. Matthew's there. He's a tax collector, but we've got like Peter and, and John and James, people that had calluses on their hands from drawing nets all night long in, in that, you know, the Sea of Galilee. Like, these guys lived on boats, and in the middle of this lake, they believe they're dying, and they look up. And Jesus does something. I know he's trying to help. How many of you guys know sometimes when Jesus shows up, the first thing you think of isn't, that's helpful. <laughs> so he comes walking on the water in the middle of the storm. How many of you guys know that's a little scary to begin with? But if, and I don't know this, but I think this is true. If you don't want your teenage kids to get in the boat and go out at night, you tell them stories about what's on the lake after it gets dark. Am I right? Like, how many of you guys know if you go swimming right after you eat, you don't get a cramp. Grandma just needed a nap. She, she, made, she made that up. You're less likely to get a cramp with a belly full of food than you are with no food, from what I understand. And, but it just grandma needed a nap, so after, you can't swim for two hours. How many guys your grandma said two hours? And some of it was an hour, and some of it was not for the rest of the day. Why, why is that? Grandma needed a nap. It had nothing to do with the pool or the lake or the ice. It had everything to do with grandma needed a nap. So we'd say things, and so I think, I think, you know, hey, son, don't go out on the lake after dark. Well, why is that? Remember the story of great Uncle Joe, who went on a lake much like tonight. And he never came back. And fishermen say that fish these waters, that sometimes you can still hear the voice of Uncle Joe crying out in the middle of the lake. And he walks upon these waters. Now it's a pirate, matey. He walks upon the waters. And he has a hook, and he will get you, you know. And so in the middle of the night, in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of their death, Jesus comes walking on the water just like Uncle Joe with the hook. Not helpful to begin with, am I right? And they're really faced with a, a thing. And they say, you know, they freak out. Jesus says, don't worry, it's me. And Peter, being the guy that is a little more spontaneous than the rest, says, if it really is you, then I can do anything you tell me to do. So here's your test. If it's, really, it's, not, if it's not the ghost of Uncle Joe, if it's really Jesus, tell me to do what you're doing. Because ever since we met you, that's what you've been doing, telling me to do what you've been doing. So if you're walking on water, here's, I don't know else the test of it's you or not, just tell me to do what you're doing. He goes, okay, come on the water. Now, I may just know there's, there's a right turn towards faith that Peter has, now listen to me, that the other 11 do not have access to right now. Peter has a word from God calling him away from logic into something completely foolish called faith. 
So when people say at these crossroads, now, is, is, should we all walk on water or should we all stay in the boat? Let me tell you something. The fathers and grandfathers and uncles and everybody that said if that boat ever turns over, you're in a lake in the middle of a storm in the middle of the night, the only thing that stays floating on that lake is that boat. Tie yourself to it, lash yourself against it, but whatever you do, don't let go of the boat. So what's Jesus telling them to do? Let go of the boat, right? So 12 men in the same circumstance, one has a word from God, 11 do not. The one who had the word from God did exactly what he was supposed to do and... The 11 who didn't have a word from God did exactly what they were supposed to do, and they did completely different things. Does this make sense? There's an economy that, that requires relationship to know which way to turn. Does this make sense? Another one, giving. Oh, here comes a giving sermon. No, it's not. <clears throat> a guy has 10. He gives one, and logic says he had 10. Take away one equals nine. Is that true? Absolutely true. The other guy, though, doesn't look at logic. He looks through the eyes of faith and says, I had 10. I gave, I planted one, and I'm anticipating a harvest that comes back on the one greater than the one that I sowed. Which one's right? They both are. 10, take away one is, and 10, planting one is more than 10 eventually. And so they're, they're both right. Again, there's this dichotomy, you know, true or false, which one's right? It's like they, they both are, but it requires faith to understand what God is telling us to do. The Sabbath, Seven days of work is greater than six days of work. Is that true or false? It's not a trick question. It's true. Working seven days, the first shovel full of dirt you turn over on the seventh day is more work than if you hadn't worked on that day. But God says there's also this element of faith. that goes, I will bless the other six days to be so fruitful that you won't miss the seventh. What's the difference? There, I mean, the guy that works seven days a week, I, you know, you can debate all day long, should you Sabbath, shouldn't you? I think you should. I believe you should. Jesus said we should. But, but let's understand that the first shovel full of dirt you turn over is a shovel full of dirt you would not have turned over if you only worked six days. So they're, they're both true. There's a dichotomy. There's a pulling of faith and practical common sense logic. And then when it comes to the commandment we're going to deal with today, which is this, love your neighbor as yourself, I mean, logic and faith are about to have a, a throwdown in the backyard over this one. Because when God says love him and he's perfect, I just know that every time I don't understand what God has done, I can still have peace that passes understanding. I can't, the only way I can have peace that passes understanding is if I surrender my right to understand everything God's doing. But because he's perfect, I can surrender that right joyfully. I don't know why you let that happen, but I trust you. I don't know why that didn't work out the way I thought it was going to, but, but I trust you. I don't know why they did, but I, I thought you told me to, but it didn't turn out, the, but I trust you. I mean, you know, at the end of every sentence to God, there's always, I trust you. Because he's perfect. You can. I'm not saying everybody does. I'm saying you can trust God because he's perfect. But when it comes to trusting you and you trust in me, it's not as simple. And so faith in believing the commandment of God to love my neighbor as myself and logic, how do I do that without my neighbor destroying me, is very important to our conversation this morning. Let's, let's just start <clears throat> with the logic part of it. The logic would say, you know, you can't love everyone. Some people are just, they're just dangerous. True or false? Okay, he's going to date your daughter. Is it true or false now? Oh, it just got more true, didn't it? Yeah, of course it is. Some people are just dating. You know, your daughter brings home at 14 years old her 23-year-old boyfriend, Snake. Right? How many of you guys know? Like, Sweetie, there's some people who are just dangerous. And it's me. And I buried your boyfriend in the backyard. Go pick another one. God didn't give me daughters or granddaughters yet. And the gun companies are very upset about that. But you can't love everyone. Some people are dangerous. That is absolutely true. And yet, faith calls us to, you can't possibly ignore God's command to love everyone because ignoring God is probably the most dangerous thing of all. 
And so here's this, here's this battle. So how do we apply, we're going to look at today, the faith part of that commandment and the logical part of that commandment because I think, again, as we start in the opening statement, I think faith and logic in the kingdom, under the king, are actually good friends. They may oppose each other on a daily basis, but when you know which way to turn, it makes perfect sense somewhere, and God's the one that makes it make perfect sense. So let's start with faith. <clears throat> here's the faith, right? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Hear me, please. Every person... All right, Kaylee, you ready to catch this? It's driving me nuts. I got, it's, not, it's not an ADD thing. I just can't do it. You scored. Good. Every person you meet is entitled, hear me, equally to your love. That's the Word of God. The Word of God says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. True or false? Okay. So if that's the commandment, it isn't like, yeah, but that guy's a Democrat. Yeah, but that guy's a Republican. Yeah, but that guy's an Ohio State fan. Yeah, but maybe Ohio State fan. But Michigan State, we live in the same state. We should, we should love each other, even though one of us is wrong, right? But loving your neighbor as you love yourself, it, it says that everybody is entitled to you at an equal level when that level is called love. So what's love? Here's my working definition for the last 10 years. Love is the costly. You're not getting out of this without blood. See, love casts out all fear. Yes, it does, but it also tells you to carry a cross right? Love is the costly, committed. I'm not on this and off this. It's not well on Sunday, but not on Monday. With church people, not worldly people. With my in-laws, but not my outlaws, right? Love is the costly, committed, consistent choice. It is an act of will. It's not a feeling. It's an act of will to act for the highest good of another, regardless of whether or not they ever love you back. Now, here's Paul's active discerning words for this. He says, everybody I meet deserves at an equal level my patience, whether they have my last name, whether they live directly next to me, whether I am emotionally engaged with them as a friend, as a lover, as, as a neighbor, or they're a complete stranger on the bus that's listening to punk rock music really loud. Do they still have punk rock music? The 80s were awesome, right? They're all entitled equally to my kindness. I'm not allowed to look at what they have and look at them differently because they have something I don't that I want. I'm not allowed to tell them how cool I am at their expense and make them feel bad. I, I'm not allowed to act around them or be in my heart like prideful. In other words, you don't deserve the things that I have to give. I'm, I'm not allowed to dishonor people. I'm not allowed to use them for my own self-seeking purposes. I'm not allowed to be this crotchety, kind of angry, grumpy, um, slightly over-middle-aged man, right? Uh, I'm not allowed to hold their past against them. Yeah, I knew it'd be quiet about now. I'm not allowed to delight when life finally catches up to them and they get what I think they deserve. I am allowed to rejoice when good things happen, true things happen. I am always to protect them. I am always to behave towards them in a manner that is trustful. I am always to think about their future in a way that, that hopes for their good. And I am not allowed to quit on a living soul on this planet. I'm just curious how long it's going to be quiet. Now, I think the reason it's quiet is because isn't there kind of, a, kind of an okra moment in this? Like, I'm not, I'm not quoting Gandhi. I'm not quoting Buddha. These are the words of God. By the way, the words that he said are the second most important things for us to listen to and obey of all the words that are spoken in any human language. Love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're all. Love your neighbors yourself. This is the second greatest thing. So to God, the most important things we're doing are loving Him and loving each other, and by each other, I mean all humanity. And it's sobering because I don't want to be patient with everybody. How about you? Patience is actually costly. <laughs> Kindness, 
I'll be kind to people that are kind, but the guy at the DMV? Do I have to be kind? The waitress who forgot the hot sauce and now my eggs are gone? Do I have to be kind? I mean, I deal with major issues like hot sauce. Right? This is Paul's definition. This is the way we're supposed to treat each other. So let's, that's the faith part of it. And I, and I want to say the faith part of it because it's going to cost you something. You're not allowed to quit. It's going to cost you something. You're not allowed to quit. Do, do you see this? But, but that's the faith side of it. So again, back to this. Jesus set the example for us in loving his enemies to death and resurrection. So we can't say, well, I don't like him. He was mean to me. Jesus was in, in a relationship predicated by Paul and Jesus' definition of love when they executed him. He forgave the guys who put the nails in his arms. He forgave publicly, verbally, at great emotional and physical expense, pulling himself up on those wounds, the, the people that stripped him naked in front of his mother. With no mercy, he extended, no mercy given, he extended the greatest act of mercy of all by dying for the people that just crucified him and exonerating them by saying, Father, forgive them because they're just, they're just too dumb to know what they're doing. Yeah, it's quiet again. Don't you love church? I preach on prosperity. People get excited, but this stuff is hard. I, I get it. So let's play a game. Let's, let's, let's move from faith to a little bit of logic right now because we're seeing if we can find a balance. True or false, Jesus loved everyone. So everybody, regardless if it was his best friend John, it was one of the 12, the 120, whether it was Lazarus he just raised from the dead or Mary who was, you know, cast demons out of and she broke jars of alabaster and, and ointment on his... I mean, Jesus treated everybody with the, with the qualifications of 1 Corinthians 13 and certainly my, my lame definition of love as well. That's the way Jesus lived towards anybody, yes? For God so loved the... that Jesus comes and loves, right? So Jesus loved him, but here's, here's where we're going to kind of balance up some logic... But not everyone had the same access to Jesus. And this is where I'm going to ask you to begin to discern what works um, under God for you. I don't mean like you design your own theology. I mean, what is God saying to you about the people that are in your world? Because even though everyone, a complete stranger and your closest of family members, deserve the same right of patience and kindness and gentleness and all these things, right? They all belong from you to the world equally. Understand this. Not everybody in the world should have access to your family room your cell phone number, your Facebook page. Now I'm meddling. That was just fun. I just threw that in there, right? I want to say this to you. Jesus lived clearly with boundaries. Not everyone who wanted access to Jesus 24-7 got access to Jesus 24-7. He's God, yes, but he's God in a bod. He's limited by his physical being. He can't be everywhere. He can't do everything. And so if you can't be everywhere and do everything, even though you love everyone, what are you going to do? You've got to create hierarchy. You've got to create boundaries that let some people in but hold other people's on the outside. We're going to talk about this. You guys doing all right? <clears throat> Closest relationship Jesus had, hands down, theologically true, no way around it. Jesus and his Father, God the Father, were the best of friends. Jesus didn't leave home without him. Jesus didn't walk on water without him. Jesus didn't heal blind eyes. He didn't spit in the mud and make a salve. He, he didn't say or do anything unless he saw his father, heard his father say and do it. That's what Jesus says. He is an intimate, ongoing, constant contact with his father. And I would suggest to you that as these circles get broader and broader, understand this. Everything that Jesus is Lord over is blessed. And what Jesus has not been made Lord over is, is subject to loss. So if you're going to start anywhere in your relationships, the number one thing you should start with is time with God. Listen to me. The, all the ministries you have, the number one ministry you have is to minister to God. So what's that mean, to minister to God? Do I, do I need to sing all day? The, the ministry that God desires is fellowship. 
faith, walking with him, obedience, blessing him, knowing him. He wants to be wanted. He loves to be loved. He, he, is, he is a father, and you are his children. He can't get enough of you. You won't be like, oh, man, you know, Fred coming back again. He's just such a chatterbox, that kid. He loves the sound of your voice. He loves the sound of your heart, whether it's broken or full. God is a father. So if you're going to start anywhere, let's start where Jesus started. Say the number one thing, the number one relationship, the number one commandment, the number one person, the number one everything, it's got to start with God. Good for Jesus, good for you, yes? Rudimentary, you're doing all right? Here we go. The number one, the number two thing, Jesus had this special relationship with one of his disciples named John. John's nickname was actually the Beloved. John the Beloved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. They just, I don't know, John just had access to Jesus, and Jesus had access to John in a way that was unique to the other disciples. If you noticed, um, John doesn't make this great declaration when Jesus says he's going to be crucified. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to stand with you, and I'll never fail you like Peter did. Peter's words came to nothing when Peter denied Christ three times to a servant girl. But it was the love that John had for Jesus that literally went to that cross. But he stood at a distance, I mean, right there with his mother. He could hear what was being said. Love gave him more courage than faith did. Are you still here? These three remain, faith, hope, and love. What's the greatest? It's love. It was the love that John had for Jesus. When all the disciples fled, John was still there with Mary. That's why Mary's there too. She said, they can both lose their lives for being related in any way to him. But nobody left because they didn't leave because they couldn't. Love, love will give its life for what's love. That's why Jesus is dying, and that's why they're there. John had a special relationship. He had access to him. Peter, James, and John. Now, there's the one, John. There's the three, Peter, James, and John. Sometimes Jesus did certain things he didn't do in front of the 12 or the 120 or the multitudes. He just did it in front of them. He'd say things like, follow me. I'm going to go do this. Now, you guys stay here, but you come here and pray with me on the Mount of Transfiguration, for example. And if you don't know what that story is, look up Transfiguration. It's the only time it's used in the Bible. And uh, it's pretty incredible, the metamorphos, the metamorphosis that Jesus goes through right before their eyes, and, and it's, it's really Star Wars. I mean, it's, it's really cool. It's a neat, neat, beautiful, powerful, prophetic story where prophecies are being fulfilled and heaven's touching earth in a dynamic, incredible, powerful, beautiful way. But everybody didn't get to see that, only Peter, James, and John. Why? I don't know. Because they had access to Jesus. I don't know why they had access to Jesus in a ways that others didn't, but they didn't. Jesus had, again, boundaries. Jesus had a different relationship with the 12 than he did with the three and the, and the, and the one, and certainly God. Uh, there was 120 disciples. They're only mentioned briefly. Jesus sends out 120 of his disciples. We don't really know much about them. Some of them show up later on to be deacons. Um, some of them end up in Antioch. Some of them stay in Jerusalem. But they're you know, when, when Judas uh, betrays Christ and, and fails and commits suicide, another one, Matthias, is put in. He's one of the 120. And so the, we don't see or hear much of them, but he sent them out. And the 120 had access to Jesus that was different from the 12. Are you still here? Are you getting this? Jesus had a special relationship with the lost. He had a special relationship with the multitudes, if you will. And he had a relationship with his enemies. But understand, it wasn't the same access. Did he love them all? But did they all have access to him? And I want you to hear me. Piano girl, join me if you would, please. Hear me, please. How much time we got? Oh, yeah. I got seven more minutes. How many of you guys think it's a good new year? I could end this thing on time. How guys believe that? How many of you guys want me to end it on time? Most sinners feel that way. All right, good. We'll, we'll go on. Yeah. No, but hear me. Faith says everybody's worthy of your love, and no one is unworthy of it. Yes? That's what Jesus says, Right? Second greatest thing you're going to do is love people. Forgive your enemies, turn the other cheek, love your, love your neighbor, love your enemies. These are all words that Jesus spoke to us, and we have, to have, we have to believe that's what he means when he says it. But there's also this other thing, and how do we balance the faith with the logic? I would say this to you. I think sometimes we get so burned out, and I, I'm just going to say that. Can I just say this, and you guys discern it however you want? I might get passionate, but I'm not mad. Is that okay? I got two different conversations this last week 
people in full-time ministry. One is resigning and has no intention of ever going back, and one has lost her health to the demands of congregational stewardship. And um, she needs to take a year off to just see if she can ever go back to ministry again. They're not exhausted. They're not burned out. They're not frustrated. They're not wounded because of theology. It's the interactions with people. And I don't think pastors are unique to that. I think, how many of you guys have people in your life too? My father had a saying, my stepfather, he'd say, some people create happiness wherever they go and others whenever they go. And I, I never forgot that, you know. We all have those people in our lives, you know. They left. Oh, that makes me so happy, you know. <laughs> oh, they came. That makes me so happy. It's good to see you walking out the door, you know. Um, that, that's just, it's just people. When, when God wants to encourage me, almost universally he sends me people. When the devil wants to discourage me, almost universally he sends me people, right? So this isn't pastors. This is just life. But I, I would say this. One of the things that pastors do wrong, and maybe you can glean from this in your own paradigm, is there's 3% of the people that will always be upset about 80% of the stuff. Whatever it is. I don't like that. You know, my last church, I, I had one person say to me, I literally said this, I shouldn't have said it. You know, my last church, we da 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 da. And I said, oh, they must really miss you there. It was a short conversation, but she got offended and I kind of chuckled, you know. It hurt my feelings really bad and I laughed about it and I'll use it as an illustration. It's long ago, but I, I, I look at this, you know, there, there are some people that we're all going to have 3% of the people in our lives that think we're idiots. And maybe we are. Or maybe it's just we look like people that hurt them in the past. Or maybe it's that you don't trust anybody and it's not just you. Or maybe, maybe they're iron that sharpens us in some way. Maybe they're sent by God. Maybe they're sent by the devil. I, I wouldn't know the difference. I just know that no one's excluded from the love that God's commanded me to love. But not everybody gets to go to coffee. Not everybody gets to stay on the staff. Not everybody gets to stay on the board. Not everybody gets access to you. And, and I, want, I'm, I'm this, I don't mean to cloud this with church paradigm stuff, but in your life, let me ask you a question. When, when you look at, at these, these rings, maybe it looks something like this, where God is in the middle and your best friend and you're three, you're 12, you're 120, you're, you know, and all the way out to your enemies. Can I tell you, I think sometimes loving your enemy doesn't mean listening to your enemy. Loving your enemy doesn't mean giving them access to break your heart repeatedly. I've watched as, as people have been devastated by, you know, social media. Everybody's got 100 followers, 500 followers, but there's always that one kind of person that wants to be the turd in the punch bowl. They use your platform to kind of air their whatever, or it's at the office. There's one person or the one employee or the one boss. I'm just, when I was praying this morning, I felt like the Lord gave me the word permission. And, and I, you're going to need to apply that however you mean, but I, I, I know it doesn't mean this. I know I didn't just give you permission to end your marriage. I didn't say it's okay because I got a word from God. I have permission to disown my best friend and never speak to my mother again. That's not what I'm saying. But I, I think some of you think that, that you, there are people in your life that you want to honor, and in doing so, I, I think you're dishonoring yourself. I think it's not healthy. I think Jesus spent a lot more time with John then he did the Pharisees, and there was a reason for that. He spent a lot more time with the 12 and the 3 and the 1. He spent a lot more time with his father than he did with anybody else, and there's a reason for that. And I don't know who your 1, 3, 12, 120, I don't know who they are, but I know this. Sometimes there's people that, that maybe for a season or maybe they assumed a position and they just want to be here and they're just always on here, or maybe you used to, but then there was this conflict. I, I just know this. I 
I just want to go where God wants me to go, and everybody's welcome to join me. I'm going to love everybody equally, but not everybody's going to be on the inside. That's my life. Let me say the same thing to you. I think you got to go where God tells you to go. you got to do what God tells you to do. you got to walk straight down a narrow road in the direction the Holy Spirit's leading you, but not everybody's going to follow where you go. And There's going to be 3% that try to act like they're 20% to try to ruin 90% of your life. And so maybe the word permission just says it's not unloving to create boundaries. It's unloving not to love. Come on. It's unloving to rejoice when bad things happen to people that have been bad to you. It is loving to rejoice when good things, when truth happens, right? But but I think think maybe some of you here today need permission to begin to glean, to begin to move people in, to begin to maybe move people out of a circle or two. And I want you to know that at the end of this, I don't know if this is true or not. I don't, I don't think I'm quoting scripture, but so forgive me if this sounds more philosophical than biblical. But if you show me your friends, for the most part, I can show you your future. The people that I'm mentoring, I become very close with. The people that are mentoring me, I become extremely close with. The, the people that are in the class next Sunday night, I'll have a relationship, a proximity with them that, that I wouldn't have if, if I just run in the foreground once every six months and say, hey, uh, uh, brother, because I don't know your name. You know what I mean? So there are people that belong closer to the middle, people that belong further out. My task today is to say this. Be very careful that you make room to love every soul on the planet. But be also be very careful to understand that not everybody has the same access. Or what happens is you burn out on the 3% and you'll love, you, you'll forget. It'll be too hard to have courage to love the other 97%. I said that poorly. Let me say it again. If all your love, all your energy is spent on the 3% that are never going to reciprocate, I, I'm not saying it's a bad waste and you're a bad, I'm simply saying this, you need people around you that encourage you and that you can encourage, that are heading in a similar direction, that are iron to sharpen your iron. It doesn't mean you disown anybody. Everyone is worthy of your love. Come on, everybody's worthy of your love. The same love you give to the closest person, you must give to your worst enemy. You're patient with one, you must be patient to another. And it's the costly, consistent, committed choice that we make as followers of Jesus Christ. No one is excluded from our love. But there are some people that don't have access to the intimate places of our heart. And I think God wants to give you permission to believe that he's speaking to you, that he wants to help you, and that with his help, you can make it through every difficult relationship. Stand to your feet, please, all over this room. Look at the center of that circle, please. There's only one person that belongs in the middle. And that's God himself. I want you to think of it this way. If I were to drop a, a rock from here, like that's the bottom and gravity is going this way, and I drop the rock and that's liquid, it would hit it and ripples would go in every direction. That is such a great illustration of the blessings of God. When God is in the middle, everything that God touches is blessed. Now, if God's in one of the outer rings, and let me just, just please hear me, don't be mad at me. Some of you guys walk out so encouraged on Sunday. I, man, that word really spoke to me. I felt God in worship. You know, someone I didn't even know walked up and prayed for me and kind of read my mail. It was glorious, man. But then by Monday, it's, it's kind of all falling apart. What's happening is this. God only blesses the rings that he's king of. So if he's king on Sunday, somewhere towards the out, we have great Sundays. But where's God on Monday? Well, it's my secular world. That's where I'm selling stuff and buying stuff and negotiating things and dealing with people. And so it, it's not as blessed. If you feel blessed on Sunday, it's not because of the music or the lights or, the, it's, or me or the people around you. I mean, we have a role in that, but it's because God's blessing your decision to worship. What if, what if you worshiped every day? What could happen? What if you took them to work with you? What if when you and the missus are having an argument, 
I've been married for 29 years, 26 of them happily, right? Why did we get through the first? How did we get through the first three years? Because God was in the middle of our bullseye, and we couldn't stay mad at each other because he wouldn't let us, and we wanted to. I'm here to tell you guys, I'm here to just pray that you open your heart and mind to that. The God, not a God. The Savior, not some other. The way, the truth, the life, Jesus Christ belongs at the center of your bullseye. He will bless everything beyond that, but he's got to be the first and he's got to be the last. So let me pray for you. Father, I pray that today you'd open the hearts and minds of people that need to move you from an outer ring to the center. Or maybe you're not even on their map yet. Holy Spirit, you're the only one that knows how to do this. But I pray that today you would take what is intangible and help us to reach out and grasp it. What we cannot see and yet is the realest thing in the universe. Help us to know the love of the Father. Let us run into the arms of the one who gave his son to die for our sins. I'm not sure which ring you become Savior in and I, I, fear, that, I fear that if it's not the center one, if it's the center one, I know what's going to happen. If it's some lesser one, I, I, don't, I don't know. God, I pray that today we'd move you to the center on Sunday and on Monday and on every day. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You've got a decision, and I call you to a place of decision. You don't have to do anything, and no one will know if you did it or not but you and God. But I call you not, not to inspire you and not to you know, make you afraid of hell or... I just call you to make a decision. Choose you this day who is in the center of that. And if it's you, then you got to save you. If it's Jesus, then Jesus got to save you. If it's you, then you got to bless you. If it's Jesus, then Jesus got to bless you. God, I pray, help us to see how simple it is, how incredible an offer you've made us. Here's my life. There's a bullseye. There's a throne. There's a center. And we just, we give you ours now. Do it in your own way. Do it in your own words. Do it with your own will. Do it. And if you don't, remember, remember it was your choice. God, I pray for those who today say, I, I want this, that you would blow their minds with something greater than they could ever imagine. Fill them now with the Holy Spirit. Fill them with fire. Fill them with truth. Fill them with your word, God. Let their hearts ignite with a passion for you and for people that they never knew could be possible. God, I pray. At the end of this thing, let us have made all the right choices of who got to be where, but let us love them all like you loved them all. Let faith and logic be good friends in the kingdom, God, before us. We listen for your voice and we obey in Jesus' name. Amen.